Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. And welcome, everybody, to Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed. Great to have you back. And boy, do we have a guest for you today. And we've got some tough questions for him, too, as usual. First, uh, let me introduce you to my wonderful wife and assistant, uh, Ms. Gail Gage. Gail, how are you? Hello, Richard. Hi, everybody. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Are you excited about our guest today? I am. Yes, very excited. Um, it's a topic that I have really been wondering about and haven't had an opportunity to do too much digging to learn about it myself. So this is going to be a really good good one for me. A lot of questions yeah. I would like to have answered. I think so, too. Any highlights uh, from your week? Well, just really busy. It's flying by already. Yeah, it's been a good week. Just really busy. Yep, yeah, a good. I wish week. you had a few more volunteers. <laughs> well, I have to get my act together and get organized so that we can allow those poor volunteers that have been waiting to be contacted, let them know what they can do. So, yes, that'll be soon. And that will help. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, uh, help me uh, bring in our new guest uh, today. And uh, let me let me tell you first, uh, let me ask you some questions. Are jet aircraft trails just condensation? Why are these trails lingering, spreading, and blocking the sun? Is the dimming of direct sunlight by air, air by uh, aircraft dispersed particles causing the dimming of sunlight? Is this a form of global warming mitigation? And what in the heck is solar radiation management? My guest is Dane Wigington. Dane's the lead researcher and administrator for the website geoengineeringwatch.org. And he's the executive producer for the groundbreaking climate engineering documentary, The Dimming. He has a background in solar energy and was a former employee of Bechtel Power Corporation and was a licensed contractor in California and Arizona. Dane's devoted the last 20 years of his life to constant research on the issue of covert global climate engineering operations and the effort to expose and halt them. His personal residence was featured as a cover article in the world's largest renewable energy magazine, Home Power. He actually owns his own wildlife preserve. We should ask him about that. Next to Lake Shasta in Northern California. Dane has appeared in numerous films and interviews in his effort to educate the public on the extremely dire environmental and health dangers we face from what he says is the ongoing global climate intervention operations. So without further ado, let me introduce to you Mr. Dane Wigginton. Hi, Dane. Hi, Dane. Hi, Richard. Hi, Gail. Thank you very much for all your work over so many years and for your 
willingness to examine the wider horizon and how such dire issues tie together. Yeah, we're going to be real interested in that today because uh, my focus, as you know, has been uh, 9-11. And uh, while I was at Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, it was specifically the World Trade Center uh, destruction, the very explosive controlled demolition of those three buildings. And now I'm spreading my wings, aren't I? I mean, look who I've got on my show tonight. This would never have been done over at 8911 Truth, and probably for a good reason, uh, because we want to focus. Uh, we wanted to focus over there on, on, uh, on the very narrow mission, so we could get architects and engineers signed on to the petition, uh, not the petition investigating uh, geoengineering, uh, but uh, specifically uh, the World Trade Center destruction, and that's how we got 3,500 architects and engineers over there. Now, as a result of, uh, 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 some would call it indiscretion, some would call it over-exuberance. I, I have many adjectives I've used to describe my own uh, faux pas uh, with respect to Spike Lee. And uh, you had a question about that, didn't you? Well, it's certainly disturbing to me that he would have the ability to axe the time slot, as I understand it, from HBO that were dedicated to addressing what the official narratives have never addressed on 9-11. And Spike Lee has managed to delete that entire um, episode in his six-hour HBO series. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Half hour is gone. He had invited me to... Uh, Brooklyn, uh, New York, uh, about a year ago, and he interviewed me for two hours. He was blown away by the evidence. But then when Slate Magazine put in his face these comments that I made off topic, in that case, uh, COVID-19, um, I I was uh, promptly, um, uh, because he was invested highly in the, in the, in the COVID-19 uh, narrative uh, from the government, uh, trying to get black people um, vaccinated uh, because of to overcome the hesitancy that they have about trusting their government. I, I won't interfere in that uh, interaction between uh, him and his folks, but um, uh, I don't I don't agree with him, and he didn't agree with me. And uh, as a result of losing this epic uh, opportunity to get the nine eleven truth evidence in front of HBO millions of HBO watchers, uh, I, uh, I was, uh, well, our PR consultant claimed this, that this was a big um, uh, PR disaster. And so um, we had quite an argument and he said, uh, he's got to go. And, and he didn't have any power on our board, but our board, uh, after a large uh, discussion about it, uh, visceral uh tough discussion for hours uh we narrowly lost and um and i'm out and so i'm on my own now and i'm trying to find myself and i think what i can do best is to continue my mission uh and expand it and and that's uh, that's why you're here tonight dane you're a very big target for those in power you've been a 
extraordinary thorn in their side. You've bought credibility to an issue that desperately needed at a turning point in literally the course of humanity, an event by which Americans seem to want to define their perception of the world. And so what happened to you with Spike Lee is not that surprising to me in that someone with his stature in the entertainment industry, and I have some high level contacts in that industry and they are absolutely on a leash and they know how long their leash is. And I, again, given the um, credibility that you have brought to this issue, I certainly can only conclude there are many behind the curtain that were desperate to somehow hamper your efforts. And so it's, it's not surprising to me. I'm I'm sure you're uh, the the frontline focus in in many ways. And all these issues are directly connected. If we take CV-19, the events of 9-11, and the ongoing climate engineering operations, they are all inseparable, not just because of the same people being behind them all, but if we track it back to, again, the turning point, which was 9-11, and what most Americans should have recognized immediately. In fact, myself, when I, especially seeing Building 7 come down at, I, I, you know, it was free fall speed, in essence, in its own footprint, never got hit by anything. And how few people knew about that, which was so puzzling to me. And even now, I, I am amazed at how many people don't know there was a third building that came down. So that's what alerted me to the fact that that was anything but what we were being told. And I uh, have tried to along with climate engineering, bring people's attention to that profoundly important event. Ah, gotcha. Well, um, let's talk about, before we get into the details of of climate engineering, geoengineering, we'll talk about what those terms mean, but uh, how how does it even relate to 9-11? How are these issues connected? They're extraordinarily connected. And I would argue uh, two of the most important issues, or these three issues now we've discussed are the, the three profoundly important issues that need must be addressed. Those in power have long since known, based on mathematical statistical trajectories, that the planet could not continue to support the current paradigm. And their climate intervention operations, which have been ongoing, by the way, for your listeners, if they don't know, since just after World War II. So very few of us, very few people alive today have known truly natural weather, and they've expanded these operations all along the way. And these operations take an extraordinary amount of resources, specifically hydrocarbon resources, to keep all these aircraft in the air and moving, and the, um, the resources that they're dispersing as well require hydrocarbon fuel to process, to transport. And so the scope and scale of these operations, which are nothing nor nothing short of a climate engineering Manhattan project, knowing they needed these resources, 9-11, I think, is inarguably an event that galvanized the American population into completely blind, unquestioning support of whatever the military industrial complex wanted to do. And certainly that goal was to acquire resources from other countries, which is business as usual for America. But they needed this new Pearl Harbor event in order to gain this 
blind, unquestioning support of the U.S. population to continue to procure these resources, knowing that the process of biosphere collapse was unfolding. All the military industrial complex knows how to do is double down on their efforts. If climate engineering is causing immense damage to the planet, instead of eliminating those programs, they double down. They do more of what they were doing to try to mitigate the damage from what they were doing did in the first place. I hope that makes sense. So again, 9-11 was a turning point of desperation where they knew the clock was ticking and they were almost out of time where they would not be able to hide the magnitude of what's unfolding from the public. And weather warfare, for your listeners to understand, is the crown jewel of the military industrial complex because they can bring nations to their knees without those nations ever even knowing they were under assault. It's happening right now. And if I could tie one more thing into this with 9-11, one week yeah. after 9-11, and this completely connects these two issues, one week after 9-11, General Wesley Clark, the NATO Supreme Commander, was given a list of Middle Eastern countries that were targeted to be targeted, a list that clearly existed before 9-11 even happened. And after that, every one of those countries subsequently underwent a once in 1,000 year drought, destabilizing those nations, making them much easier to occupy by the US military. And statistically, mathematically, the odds of that happening to every one of those nations is statistical zero. They cut off their reign. And we had the leaders of some of those nations, in the case of Iran, on the floor of the UN, stating emphatically that NATO was cutting off their precipitation. You know exactly what's happening upstream from them. So again, these issues, inseparable, completely inseparable. Mm. Well, um, you mentioned it. So later on in the program, I'll ask you to provide some proof that they can even uh, organize an engineer and carry out uh, an attack like a drought on another country. But let's first start at the beginning. What is geoengineering anyway? Geoengineering, aka climate engineering, stratospheric aerosol injection, solar radiation management, cloud albedo enhancement, all of these describe intervening with the planet's life support systems on a global scale. And at geoengineeringwatch.org, we stick tenaciously to the climate science terms in order to gain credibility. Many have heard of the chemtrails term, but that term is not scientifically based and has by design been utilized to lead people straight to, quote, conspiracy theory and hoax. But if you search geoengineering, climate engineering, solar radiation management, you find that every single science institution in the world is discussing that we need to deploy these programs immediately as if they haven't been going on for 75 years already. And as if we, as if the governments of the world are waiting for our permission to do so, which is a very naive notion. So the bottom line is those in power felt that it was not only their, they felt, let me rephrase that. They felt that they had the right to do this to intervene in the climate systems for their own benefit, not for the, the general good. But we have uh, Senate documents going back decades, presidential documents outlining the scope and scale of these operations, the cooperation between governments that we perceive or we're told are adversarial, US, China, Russia, all of them colluding and cooperating on this issue without question, because you can't just engineer the climate over your own country without affecting the whole world. They are all working together on it. We have documents as long as 800 pages proving that cooperation. So it's, sorry for the long answer, but this is intervening in Earth's life support systems, climate systems on a global scale. Well, what proof is there of that, Dane? I mean, 
this is a pretty extraordinary claim and seems pretty lofty uh, to to many. What uh, what what's the very specific proof? You, I, it's probably a long question, long answer, and I'm just asking you to go for it because this is your opportunity to to make your case. There's already questions coming in that are challenging uh, some of your claims here. So so let's just start heading them off uh, right away if you can. I'll be glad to address those questions, whatever they may be. Again, we have presidential documents, U.S. congressional documents describing the existence of these programs, the funding required for these programs. And we've highlighted some of the most important parts of the documents, again, on geoengineeringwatch.org. We try to save investigators some time and trouble. And they can find these, for example, a massive Senate document. If they search geoengineeringwatch.org massive Senate document, they'll find some of what I'm talking about. There's a lot more in those sections. But let's boil it down. Let's boil it down to what can we see with our own eyes? We have up close film footage of military tankers and commercial aircraft with nozzles aimed into the exhaust jet stream turning on and off. End of argument. That is a sprayed dispersion, period. Next, geoengineeringwatch.org and our team, which includes former Air Force individuals, high-ranking officers, including two U.S. Air Force generals, a major general and a brigadier general. We have former fish and game scientists. And by the way, there's a federal gag order, an illegal federal gag order on all National Weather Service and all NOAA employees, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Why in the world would our government feel the need to gag the nation's weathermen if there wasn't something incredibly large to hide? But our team took a NOAA flying lab. That's a National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration flying lab, which we went to great effort and expense to procure. And we put top scientists in it, took it to altitude, collected samples from behind heavy aircraft that were dispersing dispersing elements. We processed that in one of the world's most renowned labs. We found exactly what we knew we would find, starting with aluminum, aluminum nanoparticles, that are a primary element named in climate engineering patents. In fact, the world's most recognized climate engineers have specifically called for the annual dispersion every year of 10 to 20 million tons of aluminum nanoparticulates into the atmosphere. And that's an incomprehensible amount of material. And for those, Richard, that try to make the argument, and many do, that aluminum is a very abundant element in our strata, we should expect to see it everywhere. That is absolute nonsense. Is it abundant? Yes, but it does not exist in the environment in free form, period. What does free form mean, Dane? means that it is separated from other elements. Oh. It is always bonded to other elements because it's a high re- reactive material. If you find free form bioavailable aluminum, it has been mined and refined and dispersed, oh. period. That's what we found. <clears throat> okay. So are there other elements besides aluminum? Barium, strontium, manganese, polymer fibers, surfactants, which we know, for example, uh, the polymer fibers, which are now we have science institutions all over the globe acknowledging they're finding polymer fibers everywhere, including the top of Mount Everest, including the North Pole, including the South Pole. We have surfactants now that we have lab tested and proven in the frozen material that now falls in so many places with shocking temperature anomalies. We have patents for chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. And what this means is they can engineer winter weather events. They can seed cloud moisture with ice nucleating elements, which then 
makes what should have been a liquid precipitation storm into a frozen precipitation storm. They can engineer snowstorms. We had Fox News and Popular Science announcing that the Chinese scientists did this over Beijing repeatedly and caused a billion dollars worth of damage the second or third time, at which point the Chinese government went a little more underground. But U.S. media won't touch this because then people, Richard, might start to question, how could Dallas, Texas have been at below zero degree temperatures last spring with record warm moisture from the Gulf of Mexico? And at the same time that Dallas was below zero, a stone throw away in Florida was 85 degrees. At the same time Dallas was below zero, it was 33 degrees warmer at the North Pole. And we were seeing these weather whiplash anomalies constantly. We saw Denver last spring for the third time go from an 85 degree all-time record high temperature for the day to 12 degrees in less than 24 hours. That's not nature. That's chemical ice nucleation for the modification. It creates a cold layer of air, descends to the ground. Denver's a primary target because it sits in, it's a basin. The cold air sits in a basin, just like the cold air in your open freezer in the market that keeps everything frozen. And they, are, they have been um, refining their processes and their applications for so many decades. And that's an important aspect of climate engineering that people don't realize. They assume it's some benevolent activity for the greater good could not be further from the truth. And engineering winter weather events is a primary aspect of climate engineering that very few are aware of. What do they gain from from engineering winter weather events? Exceptional question. They fuel the ongoing confusion and division as to the true state of planetary meltdown. When you can sensationalize headlines like below zero degrees in Dallas, you immediately feed the huge segment of society exactly the fodder they need to continue their denial of what's happening to the planet. We have been incredibly poor stewards of the planet. And I I wanna make clear, I'm no fan of environmental organizations, none at all. Their hypocrisy has been beyond comprehension. Our attorneys have spoken to their attorneys, WWF, World Wildlife Federation, we have our foundation, we have uh, Greenpeace, uh, Sierra Club, um, you name it. We've spoken to all of them, uh, uh, Earth Justice. They won't touch the climate engineering issue because they don't want to lose their 501c3 nonprofit. So I have, I have no love for the environmental community, believe me. But we have to understand when they can sensationalize events like uh, Richard, do you remember the Boston snows that were sensationalized in 2014? How the record snows in Boston that we saw in the media all the time? What didn't we see when that was happening? We didn't see them talking at all, not a word, about the fact that 14,000 feet up in the Sierras, there was nothing, no snow. So they can create these target events, sensationalize them, and it masks the true severity of planetary meltdown. And and again, on on that term, and I'm no Al Gore fan either, I want to make that clear to your listeners because these people have not acknowledged really a core issue, a part of the issue, which is climate engineering. You can't discuss the climate from any perspective without discussing climate engineering first, not legitimately. So, but the bottom line is we see an increased amount of weather whiplash events. It is a result of climate engineering and chemical ice nucleation. And the true state of what is more scientifically termed a, an abrupt climate collapse, that's what we are facing. 
We would be lucky if we faced global warming. We face something far worse, and it should be no surprise the military-industrial complex and countries all over the globe are engaged in trying to mask the severity of what's unfolding from populations until the last possible moment. I I watched uh, a video today uh, called Franken Skies, uh, the, the movie, and I think that the the, the uh, URL is Franken Skies, the movie.com. But uh, are you familiar with that? And did you did you see? If so, did you see? And do you have comment on the history of weather uh, manipulation starting back what in the nineteen thirties? Um. Actually, we have patents going back as far as the teens, over 100 years. Um, I'm familiar with the film. GeoengineWatch.org, again, we we prefer to stick to climate science terms in order to try to reach academia that may um, – and it doesn't mean you don't sift the baby from the bathwater, but – it's, it's a fine line to walk to bring academia on board because their paychecks and pensions, as I know you well know, depend on them not investigating the truth. And the same is absolutely true with the climate engineering operations. So, and I, I believe that particular film implies that there's nothing wrong with the climate except climate engineering. And that is a point that we certainly try to make clear is not correct. If you want to alienate the entire environmental community and the climate science community, start with that. And you lost them all immediately. So because they're, because they deny that uh, human based uh, carbon production is a factor in, in, in global warming, if you will. I believe that film, and I may be wrong, but I believe that film may make that insinuation yeah, and I heard I heard that insinuation quite a bit. Yeah, in, in watching it. One thing about know, what people need to consider, if I could fill in that blank really quick, because it's an important blank. When people consider oh, carbon as the gas of life, okay, you hear that all the time, and the more the better. Well, that's not true, and the science doesn't back that up. Water is essential. We don't live more than a few days without water. But what if you're ten feet underwater? How's that go? Uh, you're not going to live very long like that. And the same is true with the escalating. CO2 levels, we've increased it by almost 50% since the start of the industrialized revolution. And the flora cannot adapt that quickly. And if there's not enough nutrients, uh, soil uh, elements to facilitate that increased growth, then it simply hampers the growth of organisms. And what we see now is that many crops are less nutritious because of the increased CO2 and nothing can adapt at that speed. I, I want to, I want to drive that point home because we have epochs in earth, Earth's history where the CO2 count was far higher than it was today. And we had thriving eras from the standpoint of the flora, but it, in, that change occurred over tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years, literally hundreds of times longer span than what we see now. And that's the key that needs to be remembered. It's the speed of change. We are in completely uncharted territory. And what climate engineering has done, has it has completely hampered the planet's ability to respond to the damage done. And that is absolutely key. When we have these elements starting with aluminum that come down in precipitation and that kill soil microbiome, that change soil pH values, I mean radical changes. We've seen changes in soil pH, value, pH values in Northern California. And I work directly with USDA scientists here and 
U.S. Forest Service scientists, 10 to 12 times toward alkaline. That big of a change in about two decades, and the organisms can't adapt to that. And we have peer-reviewed science study to prove that bioavailable aluminum causes root system uptake to shut down. And so the trees die a slow protracted death. And, and again, it's in the precipitation. We've done 70 lab tests in Northern California. We've lab tested all over the globe. We lab tested at altitude directly behind these aircraft with samples from what they were emitting. So we're not speculating, hypothesizing, or theorizing. This is indisputable fact. But Mon- Monsanto has an answer for that, don't they? Sure they do. The genetically modified organisms that are aluminum resistant. <laughs> exactly. I mean, isn't that, is that just luck of timing or uh, no. are they in league with somebody who's dropping the aluminum? I mean, this is incredible. Absolutely. And they also have, and this is where it gets even more dire. Um, we have UV resistant seeds now being developed. And on the, the single most destructive factor to the Earth's ozone layer is climate engineering. And not just from the particulates, which cause an oxidative reaction effect and destroys ozone, but also a key part of climate engineering operations are an extraordinarily massive grid network of radio frequency microwave transmitters, which are used to manipulate the air masses that are saturated with these particles. It causes a repelling effect. So they can, for example, even with extraordinarily large storms like Hurricane Harvey, Remember Harvey, a week in advance, they knew that Hurricane Harvey was going to go where it went and sit there and spin for days. They knew that seven days in advance. Do you remember that? I don't. Do you remember Hurricane Harvey and what it did? Okay. So those forecasts were done seven days in advance, just like Hurricane Sandy, closer to you, or or New York anyway, where you, I think you were from, but they knew. I I was from uh, the the West Coast, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. My mistake. I thought you were from East Coast, but they knew in the case of Hurricane Sandy also that made a 90 degree unprecedented westerly turn. They knew seven days in advance that that would happen. So if you have an air mass that's saturated with these electrically conductive particulates, you can manipulate that air mass with RF microwave transmissions, radio frequency microwave transmissions. So if your listeners search, because I don't want them to believe anything I'm saying, nothing. I want them to look for themselves with their own eyes. If you search geoengineeringwatch.org, and Google's not a good place to search because they've completely, they've tried to delete everything they can of ours. But you can still find it if you look at other search engines, geoengineeringwatch.org, hurricanes, and look at the animations that we actually have, for example, of Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Michael, and, and other hurricanes, their interaction with the radio frequency microwave transmissions. We actually recorded the energizing of those facilities. And their manipulation of the storm mass itself is inarguable. They have that much power. And for your listeners that don't know, the U.S. military began to manipulate hurricanes in 1947 with Project Cirrus. That's how long they've been at it. Where are the hurricanes on your website? Um, we, if, if your listeners search, we don't have a special section on the toolbar for hurricanes. Perhaps we should, but, but we make articles easy to find. If your listeners search geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes, they'll they'll find on a search engine, they'll find numerous posts. And within those posts, video uh, recordings of the energizing of of the microwave transmission facilities, manipulating storms like Hurricane Harvey. All right. 
I've got your website up, so we can't get there from here, huh? Well, again, it's there, but if it, it would be easier if you search on just a search engine, Richard. If you searched geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes, you would find probably the first few articles would be our posts. We should put a section on hurricanes, but the section you're looking at right now that you have up would encourage your listeners to look through some of the sections that we do show there. Engineering drought, engineering winter, engineering wildfires, very key engineering wildfires. And in regard to the epic wildfires, and I'm sure you've Watch that happen. You had some up where you're at in uh, Idaho too now, right? Fires? Oh, yeah. So in regard to the fires, and uh, I'm not sure. Did I send you a link on that, Richard, on uh, wildfires serve geoengineering agenda? Don't remember. Okay. You would uh, you'd remember if you saw that. So what we have, have found and posted is science study that advocates, that promotes the incineration of forests at extraordinarily high burn rates, which lost the materials higher in the altitude, as providing beneficial cooling for the polar regions. Can you can you imagine any science source promoting or condoning the burning of forests to provide temporary cooling for the polar regions? And why are they so worried about the polar regions, specifically the Arctic melting down? Because there are massive methane deposits there, seafloor methane, tundra methane. And that gas over a 10-year time horizon is 120 times more potent than CO2. It's like covering the planet with a layer of glass, and it is happening. And I, I encourage your listeners to search Siberian methane craters, and they'll see images that will shock them of this methane thawing and exploding out of the tundra. It looks like a nuclear exchange went off there. It's happening on the seafloor on a much bigger scale. So has climate engineering actually helped that? No, what they're doing is the forest fires have put so much particulate matter into the atmosphere and the source of ignition is another, another subject. We're not trying to claim we know anything about, or they we're not making any claims as to the source of ignition. Anybody with a match can do that. But what is setting the template for these fires to burn? And that is climate engineering it is cutting off precipitation to key regions of forests and drying them out to the point where any, in, any ignition causes a massive catastrophic burn. And we now know, and it was just acknowledged by National Public Radio, that uh, the particulates, and we've already stated this at geoengineeringwatch.org for going back many years, but the particulates rotate toward the polar regions, like the North Pole, because of the Coriolis effect of the planet, the spin of the planet, and it provides temporary cooling. But at what cost? To use the planet's remaining forest as a form of artificial volcano to cool for a very temporary period at the cost of losing the planet's life support systems. And we're not asking anyone to believe our conclusions on this. We're asking them to look at the science study that advocates for it. All of that can be found under the engineering wildfire section on that top toolbar that you're looking at. But there's a lot of data in our sections. And I, if people really want to understand the issue, it's necessary to, to go through some of that. Okay. Well, um, let's, I think if we get down to brass tacks, we're talking about planes being used, what, by the thousands to to distribute uh, 10 to 20 million tons of these particulates that you mentioned, barium, strontium, uh, aluminum, nanoparticles. And and I do want to get back to these polymer fibers later. But um, 
what proof do we have that the planes are actually distributing this material? And well, tell me where to go. Jet spraying probably, huh? Yes, correct. You have film footage there. Let me fill in the blank in a couple more key details. One, again, we've we've tested on the ground. We've tested at altitude behind these planes. We know what they're emitting. But it's important for your listeners to understand this about the whole condensation trail narrative. All military tankers and all commercial carriers are fitted with what's known as a high bypass turbofan jet engine. It is a jet powered fan by design. It is nearly incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare and extreme circumstances because 90% of the air that moves through that engine is not combusted. So again, the notion that this is quote condensation and condensation doesn't behave in this way, by the way, either I ask your listeners to consider when they see a documentary about people in Antarctica, for example, and their breath, produces an immense amount of condensation. Is there a yeah. cloud hanging over their head? If they're walking across the snow, is there a giant cloud following them around? Condensation does not behave in that manner. These are particulate dispersions, just like what you see at an air show when they disperse smoke. Smoke is a particulate. And why would they, many ask this, why would they be dispersing aluminum nanoparticulates into our atmosphere? Because aluminum is highly reflective. That is the stated goal of solar radiation management, to put light scattering particles into the sky to try to deflect some of the sun's incoming thermal energy to slow down a runaway warming event. But what else does that do? Again, it traps more heat overall than it deflects. It totally disrupts the hydrological cycle. It's incredibly toxic to all life forms. For your listeners that don't know that, bioavailable aluminum is toxic to all living organisms, no exceptions. And when it's in this small of a form, nanoparticles from the 20 to 100 nanometer range, it is very bioavailable. It means it's very easily absorbed and very, very bioaccumulative, very hard to get rid of. And not surprisingly, the military industrial complex and the global power structure does not consider the consequences of what they do, Richard. We know they've detonated 2,400 nuclear bombs, don't they know that they work after one or two or three or a few dozen? <laughs> so they, they keep doing what they're doing because no one is willing to stand up to that. And on the solar radiation management, the more damage they have done to the planet from these operations and using them as a weapon of war as well, the more they seem compelled to further ramp up the programs, again, to try to mask some of the damage that these <clears throat> in the first place hmm. well we we didn't get to the planes what's the proof that the planes are actually emitting these particulates well, again we have movie the, the dimming up close film footage let's start with that again up close film footage that we have let's, of, let's see it uh dane uh, if, if we can go, go to the um atmospheric spare the uh, jet spraying, try that. Yeah. Um, multiple films there. If you want to drop down, keep going. This keep is good. Going. Um, that would work. Sure. Here's a two minute film. Um, if you need me to pause it, just let me know. Oh, let it rip. That's short. This video contains some of the most compelling footage yet captured of the ongoing atmospheric aerosol spraying assault.
But look at that. It's starting and stopping. Uh, I can see that myself. Hold on. Countless people ask me how we can prove that jet aircraft are spraying in our skies. Here's the answer. Because we have up-close film footage of these jets spraying, turning on and off, period. Yeah, period. That's the end of any debate on the matter. In the effort to awaken others to the critical climate engineering issue, if they refuse to accept what they can see with their own eyes, there's nothing more you can do for them. Move on to others that are ready to face reality. The greatest lie ever perpetrated on populations around the planet is the fallacy that the lingering, expanding jet trails we see in our skies is just condensation. It is not. Film footage like this proves beyond any reasonable doubt that what we are seeing in our skies are sprayed aerosol dispersions that are part of the ongoing global climate engineering solar radiation management assault. These programs are decimating Earth's life support systems. They're nothing short of omnicide for planet Earth. They must be stopped. Videos like this are the most exceptional of tools in the battle to reach a critical mass of awareness regarding the climate engineering issue. We must all use every tool at our disposal. Every day counts. This is Dane Wigington for geoengineeringwatch.org. Now, Dane. Wait a minute. What did I do? There we go. Uh, Dane, tell us about uh, how... This is Dane Wigginton with geoengineeringwatch.org. We've had some incredibly unique footage sent to us. This footage should be an excellent tool for those that are trying to wake others up to the climate engineering programs. This is a tanker. It appears to be an Airbus A340-200. Look in the center between the wing plumes. You'll see a secondary disbursement coming out of this aircraft. This is what is so unique to this film. Even though we have spray already emitting from the wings, we have a secondary disbursement, very visible here, between the plumes of the aircraft. Now, this footage should be an excellent tool to use for waking others up that are not yet aware of these programs. Even the wing plumes should be looked at very closely because you can see that they overlap each other as they emit from the back of the aircraft some distance behind the aircraft. Now. Either the jet engines are mounted in a misaligned fashion, which we know is not the case, if someone was to make the argument this is a condensation trail, which it is not, or the nozzles emitting these sprayed plumes are not aligned correctly. So these long stringy trails we see in this particular kind of aircraft behind tankers, we typically see this behind the, the larger tankers that fly at a lower altitude, a different composition trail, long stringy, sometimes they break into links, but the tankers fly at lower altitudes because they carry a larger payload. And again, in a, in a minute, we'll see the secondary disbursement happening between these two trails of the aircraft. In Northern California, we see these tankers flying south, leaving massive plumes like this. We see them flying north later in the afternoon, leaving nothing. Again, this should be used as a tool to wake those up that are willing to wake up. Our atmosphere is being torn apart. Hydrological cycle completely disrupted. There's the plume in between, as I mentioned. This is very unique footage. Our entire biosphere life support systems are being torn apart by the ongoing climate engineering programs. All of us are being contaminated by these programs. Every human test subject that 
is examined for aluminum buildup in the system shows astronomical amounts of these metals from hair tests to urine tests to blood tests. There is absolutely no question we are being exposed to what they are spraying above us. It's building up on our systems. It's toxifying the soils. It's sterilizing the waters. In Northern California alone, we've seen a 90% decline in aquatic insect life and terrestrial insects. The forest is literally imploding. The UV radiation levels are off the charts. We know the climate engineering is a direct causal factor for that. The entire web of life is being torn apart, the entire planet contaminated by these programs. It's up to all of us to sound the alarm. Every single one of us make every day count. Time is not on our side. This is Dane Wigginton with geoengineeringwatch.org. Dane, is that, are those particulates coming out of the engine or nozzles or, or, uh, no, or both? Although we have data to indicate that fuel additives are utilized in, in certain instances, these are nozzles that we have up-close photographs of mounted, the retrofit nozzles mounted right on the pylon. That's what holds the engine onto the wing, aimed right into the exhaust jet stream. And we, again, we have up-close images of this. It's on all our printed data that we've circulated all over the globe. It's in numerous presentations. So there's no question about this being a nozzle dispersion. And also to tie 9-11 together with this one more time, Richard, your testing, which has produced thermite, which is an aluminum-derived product, correct? And I think, and again, something to remember in the forest fires, which is key. We're talking about an extraordinary amount of material that's settling down to the surface. It's in nanoparticulate form, and aluminum is a huge part of that. And that's an incendiary dust on the forest foliage, which further fuels the intensity of the wildfires, in addition to contaminating soils, waters, every breath we take. So, again, uh, aluminum playing into the 9-11 issue and climate engineering as well. Well, what are we looking at here then? These, these are all aerosol dispersions. Anybody that thinks that type of grid pattern is just random commercial traffic uh, needs to recheck the reality. And if people simply looked up, if they didn't know anything about this issue, they should question why you can have a grid pattern one day and nothing the next, why you can have an aircraft leaving a trail from horizon to horizon. And if you look closely enough, if you are observant enough, you can regularly spot aircraft at the same approximate altitude in the same sky, leaving nothing. And I, again, when we have the entire climate science community all over the globe and every government in the world saying, we have to deploy climate engineering immediately to try to mitigate the collapsing climate system. And everything they describe, everything, aircraft dispersing particulates, turning our skies white, it's everything we see happening, same materials that show up on the ground, and yet we're told we're not seeing what we're seeing. We're told that it's simply, again, something other than what it obviously is. And at what point do we acknowledge the elephant in the room? The same with 9-11. I mean, if people can look at Building 7 and it didn't get hit by anything, and we're told some furniture burning on the first and second stories brought that building down, then if that was the case, Richard, if anytime someone lights up a, a cigarette in a high-rise, we should sprint for the exits, right? Yeah. Well, um, if they're trying to save us but from climate, global warming, uh, climate change, 
uh, with by shielding us from the sun so it doesn't get so hot down here, why don't they just take credit for it and let us know that this is what they're doing and, and that's why? Well, then they could tax us. We say, we got to do this and you guys got to pay for it and we're going to add 5% onto your taxes. Let me make this incredibly clear if I gave the wrong impression. There is nothing benevolent in these programs. Absolutely nothing. It's about power and control, period. And it's about masking the severity, not mitigating in any constructive sense, but masking the severity of what's unfolding from the population until the last possible moment. And in doing so, actually further fueling the problem radically. It's like the pharmaceutical industrial cure for the planet. Richard, how many commercials do we see every single day? Some new pharmaceutical with some strange name, you take for a certain symptom and they list a list of side effects and you wonder who in the right mind would use that product. But like it's a experimental, like experimental uh, exactly. genetic therapy that's mandated. Also, again, weather as a weapon. And we, we have some very compelling evidence to prove that this is being used as a weapon all over the globe. And the, the lead in to my weekly commercial-free broadcast, which is called Global Alert News. Again, we're on air in, in about 10 major municipalities around the world, around the country. But it's, it's a video of President Lyndon Johnson in 1962, really raving emphatically. He looks like a lunatic. So this is 1962, and he was stating then that we had the power to control the world's cloud layer and, quote, he who controls the weather controls the world. This is from a U.S. president in 1962, 59 years ago. So consider this technology has been there. It's been utilized. We have the documents. We have the film footage. We have the historical records. We have even records. Richard, you've probably heard people make the argument, well, look at all the World War II B-17 bombers that left all that condensation. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had anybody throw that at you. We found on the military archives, and we have posted that, and I've used it in presentations, we found film footage taken from one B-17 flying in formation just under another B-17 that was emitting a massive plume behind it that shut that plume off instantly in thin air like it was cut with a knife. And that cannot happen. He, he, he didn't kill all his motors and stay in formation somehow. And that proves that whatever was coming out of that aircraft was a dispersion. And we know they would have had to have been beta testing in World War II because they deployed immediately after World War II. So again, uh, the, the data is absolutely inarguable. And we, we simply ask people to examine that data, to put aside preconceptions, ideologies, bias, and examine the data, the film footage, the historical record, the statements from experts that we have, and, and for so many experts in so many different fields that are trying to acknowledge this, but also to keep in mind that the reason nobody's lining up to blow the whistle on this is because, one, the for countries everywhere, the liability issue is incalculable. Once populations realize that their governments have submitted them to an experiment from which there is no return with incalculable consequences, again, at that point, every single weather event becomes a liability because we cannot say that event would have happened if it weren't for climate engineering interfering with the system. So I would argue if the public finds out this is going on, that's the point in time when they take to the streets with their pitchforks and torches and try to find who's accountable. Well, uh, how 
Okay, so if there's weather warfare going on here, you mentioned the droughts in, in the Middle East um, and, and other events. Uh, how how do they uh, manipulate this? Um, uh, it, does it have anything to do with HARP? And can you explain what that is? Yes, and let's, let's tie another region into this as well. Let's tie the drought in the Western U.S. into this because – we can speculate on the agendas and the objectives, but the fact that climate engineering is the core causal factor for the cutting off of precipitation in the U.S. West is absolutely inarguable. NASA satellite data proves it. How do they, how do they diminish the precipitation? One, let's go straight to HARP, which your listeners might not know what that is. And the acronym is designed so you won't know. It's High Frequency Active Rural Research Program. doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's not supposed to. That's one way they help to mask that. But HARP is, HARP is a, an incredibly dangerous weapon of mass destruction. It's an ionosphere heater. It's a ground-based radio frequency microwave transmitter that can transmit literally millions of watts of power into the ionosphere. What's that do? It causes an electrical chain reaction that superheats the ionosphere to thousands of degrees Fahrenheit. Now, that should be scary enough for people. And we're talking about thousands of degrees over hundreds of miles. That causes any disputing of, 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 that, of that, that technology? None. None. You're they listening. acknowledge that. Absolutely acknowledged by the U.S. military. What is their stated purpose for needing that? It's, an, it's a potential defense against incoming ICBMs, intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missiles. If you can heat the atmosphere, you cause a bulge up and down in the atmosphere. It causes an incoming ICBM to hit resistance sooner than it should, potentially burning it up in the atmosphere. But that downward pushing pressure creates a high pressure dome on the surface of the planet. And the ridiculously resilient ridge, which we have over the U.S. West again and again and again, is a result of ionosphere heater transmissions. And we have, even from the FAA, for example, the most, one of the most recent long-standing ridges over the U.S. West. We had from the FAA's own website the warning they issued to air traffic to stay out of their airspace because of the immense transmissions they were putting out. Every single one of these dots connects. And the high-pressure dome in the U.S. West, for example, if we get back to how these connect, and again, all this is its very complicated, but the high-pressure dome in the U.S. West causes upper-level wind currents to rotate in a clockwise manner around it. It spins clockwise. That spins all the Pacific moisture around us through Alaska where they're chemically nucleating it. It spins down through the center of the country. They often pick up moisture from the, the Gulf of Mexico back up the Eastern seaboard where they nucleate it more. And so they're able to cool the Eastern half of the US lower 48, which is where most of the population lives. We're back to the psychological aspect of this. If a population doesn't feel it's that warm where they are, they're not too concerned about the state of the climate. And then they push that moisture further towards Greenland where they're nucleating it and trying to mask the meltdown in the Arctic. Let's look at another statistic to back up what I'm saying. For nine years straight, since 2012, the most anomalously less warm region in the entire world is the eastern half of the U.S. lower 48. That's not an act of nature. That's climate engineering. And that's from NASA, by the way. What are we going to, uh, wait a minute, Let, how, so back to HARP, how does, how does HARP interact 
with the uh, dispersed nanoparticles uh, uh, of these metals and elements in, in, uh, high in, in the air? Do they, need, do they need them? Do they, do they reflect? Do they uh, attract? Do they absorb? Well, what's going on up there? All good questions and all apply to a degree. One, when you have this canopy of reflective elements, HARP is a directional transmitter. So they can literally steer that transmission. They can bounce it off a reflective atmosphere and right back down to Earth's strata. That's a whole whole nother subject, okay? But the ramifications from that subject are dire indeed as well. What happens when you microwave something long enough? It expands and something has to give. Something has to blow. Something has to go. So I just want to point out certain facts your listeners can examine for themselves. They can decide for themselves. But let's take an example. It's a very important example. The Japanese quake in 2011. We have MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, acknowledging that for three days prior to that earthquake, there was what they described as extremely anomalous atmospheric heating directly above the epicenter. Now, again, that's that's a very big red flag. And the we're not claiming to know with certainty what happened, but... Again, that is exactly the type of signature we would expect from an ionosphere heater. If I can, if I can add a little more to this at geoengineeringwatch.org, we have a recording from the world's second most recognized geoengineer. It's an audio recording of Dr. Ken Caldera, formerly with Stanford. Now he works for Bill Gates. We have Dr. Caldera stating, again in his own voice, we posted this recording that what he did for the U.S. Department of Defense was design ways of affecting Earth's geologic systems, including creating earthquakes. So, yes, again, world's second most recognized geoengineer. We know fracking creates earthquakes. And we know that even very low-power surveying equipment, which emits a similar signal in a seismically sensitive zone, extremely low power in comparison to HARP, is very scientifically documented to create seismic activity. So, again, the the full scope and scale of certain weapons of mass destruction that are downplayed by the military-industrial complex and the science community as being some sort of research tool is is very alarming and how many go along with that. And there's a film on HARP, in fact, I would recommend your listeners um, might consider viewing. It's called Holes in Heaven. It's narrated by Martin Sheen. And that's a a, a good expose – of the ionosphere heater facility. On the ground, you have a much more vast network of ground-based transmitters um, that are used to manipulate patterns within the US. And if you're, again, if your listeners, if they simply search the geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes and look at our posts, they will see that network. They will see how that network energizes and actually steers storms through the US. To answer your original question, by the repelling effect it creates when these air masses are saturated with these electrically conductive elements, they can be repelled from the ground-based transmitters and thus pushed or steered. And the the recordings we have of those energizings and the effect on the storm systems is, is inarguable and shocking. If your listeners look at that, I think they would be shocked to the marrow. How, how do you record the, the, the actual um, uh, electromagnetic frequency uh, 
from from the harp <clears throat> over to the storm. How can you record that? Harp, we don't have the same access to, but the ground-based transmitters we do, and we have access to loops that with satellite imagery record their their energizing, and it's it's a very very. Um, <clears throat> I'm frankly surprised we have access to those sites still because we're losing access to so many things, but we still have it. And we painstakingly record those over the whole course of the storm day and night to produce what we produce. And again, I, I would, I would hope your listeners might take a look at that because it is, it is utterly shocking and they absolutely have that much power. And you have, you might remember Richard in the Chinese Olympics going back, I don't know, it was, uh, a number of years, but they announced, don't worry about rainfall over our events. We'll make sure it doesn't happen. Huh. And you, you may remember that, but they, they weren't secretive about that. And actually what your listeners might not know also is blocking precipitation with climate engineering is much more achievable than augmenting precipitation. And we have, we have instances of historical record of weather warfare like Project Popeye in Vietnam, very historically documented. In fact, so much so that by, I believe, 1976, they uh, passed international treaties to forbid weather manipulation, but not over a country's own population. So nobody pays any attention to it. And again, Project Popeye, where they augmented precipitation of the Ho Chi Minh Trail, again, not historically disputed at all. But the cutting off of precipitation is much more achievable by climate engineering. If you put too many particles into a storm system, too many condensation nuclei, too many small elements, the droplets don't combine and fall as rain. They tend to just keep migrating. So what do we see? Days of, and we have this in California all the time now, days of featureless skies with nothing falling out. And the moisture moves right over the top of us. And nothing falls out. And volcanoes do the same thing, by the way, for the record. We have in 1992, Mount Pinatubo, one eruption, not so significant, but that one eruption reduced global rainfall in 1992 by 50%. Imagine that. So it also caused a half a degree C of cooling, which is, again, that's the, that's the sort of model they use for trying to justify climate engineering. But what don't they tell us with that kind of modeling. Uh-huh. Any particular in the atmosphere destroys ozone. No ozone layer, no us. The ozone layer, for your listeners that don't know this either, this is the fact that's really profound. If you condense the ozone layer to a single molecular level at sea level, it would be about six millimeters thick. That's it. That's what allows us to live on this planet. And when that's gone, uh, we're, we're getting UVC on the surface right now. We know that. Our, our We have a NASA co- former contract engineer that works for us we're getting UVC on the surface, extraordinary amounts of UVC. What is UVC? It's a spectrum of UV radiation. It's DNA damaging. It's, oh. it's extremely harmful to all life forms. We are told by official sources that 95% of incoming UV is UVA, 5% is UVB, and we're told UVC stops 100,000 feet up. And below UVC, you have X-ray. We all know how bad that is for us. So now we're, we're seeing on Sundays, we're seeing levels of UVB that are 10 times higher than we, we're being told. And we're seeing UVC. It's killing plankton. It's burning the bark off of trees. It's killing insects. Geoengineeringwatch.org was the first major source that we know of about 10 years ahead of the climate science community that announced 
that terrestrial insect populations were crashing. We announced 80% to 90% crash in Northern California. Terrestrial antibiotic. And now we have acknowledgement of that from the science community that tried to marginalize us when we tried to sound the alarm. If your listeners search insect apocalypse, they'll find science institutions all over the globe acknowledging what we said about 10 years ahead of them. It's not just uh, bees anymore, huh? Other insects. Absolutely not. Plankton populations, no plankton, no people. Plankton populations down now about 60 to 70%. Now, we're not blaming everything on climate engineering. Of course not. Again, we've been horrible stewards of our planet. We've used the oceans for a toxic waste dump. Uh, I mean, where would you start with that? But in the case of destroying the ozone layer, when plankton have to feed in the upper layers of the water column because they photosynthesize, the UV is frying them. Quite simply, it's frying them. And so, and we also have the oceans are superheating, and that's what most people don't know. We're seeing temperatures in some of the Arctic Ocean regions. We've seen temperatures 24 degrees above normal seawater sea temperatures. That, that's inconceivable because a cubic meter of seawater can contain 4,000 times the thermal energy of a cubic meter of air. It's like the empty pot. You could you put an empty pot on your stove, put a lid on it, turn the heat on. The air inside there's going to heat up almost instantly. But you fill that with ice water, whole different story. It takes exponentially longer for that thermal energy build to occur. Yeah. So that's that's what we have happening. And again, the powers that be trying to mask the implosion of polar ice, and they're chemically nucleating on the sea surface there as well. We can see that on satellite imagery. They're trying to statistically hide it. They're trying to chemically hide it. But everything they do is a leap in the wrong direction. Everything. And it's all about control, I, I suppose. Ultimately, yes. It's what kinds all of, about control. Okay, we know that 9-11 created a massive quantities of funding for them uh, mm-hmm. through black operations justified by ter- global terrorism. Uh, but where, where, what are... Uh, what what what's the question here? Um, I forgot what my question. Where's the funding coming from? The funding for climate engineering. Uh, where where would all this resource come from? Is well, that, is, is that it's, com- it's coming from a, a big black uh, budget? Correct, <laughs> for Absolutely. sure. But what Nothing. what is their what is their goal if it's not to save us um what what control why are they exerting so much control is it is it just to to gain financially by <clears throat> terrorizing uh, uh, nations that are that are enemies well, i would argue again um they they certainly don't need our tax money they i mean they can print whatever they want for whatever they want they always have you know the pentagon's missing at least 30 trillion dollars since the late 90s that's indisputed statistical data. So it's it's about retaining that control until the last possible moment. And in, again, with 9-11, I mean, how, how many times, Richard, have we all heard, remember 9-11, remember 9-11, remember the terrorists, you know, if we don't go get them, they're going to get us. And I, I mean, how much they have milked that whole event. It was, again, the new Pearl Harbor, and no one's done more to expose that than you. Uh, at great expense, I know to you personally, but this is this is about trying to retain business as normal as usual. And in, in, in a diluted way, I think many even involved with this think they can continue to 
tech our way out of what's coming. And, and that is utter insanity. The, the deeper they dig, the darker the horizon grows. But this weapon of war, again, the crown jewel weapon of the military industrial complex being used right now to hamper food supplies uh, to, to various countries to cut off their precipitation and, and to mask the severity of the collapsing climate to divide populations, thus making them far easier to conquer. Richard, you know that for what you've been through. I mean, a divided population has can't stand against the those that are controlling them because they're too busy infighting. And we see that right now when they can engineer an event like they just didn't, they've just done that here in California. So we went from a hundred plus degrees in Northern California. This is a force of Northern California, hundred plus degrees in early October down to the forties. We have snow just East of us. And it's this weather whiplash scenario. That's part of climate engineering that again, it facilitates distracting populations, confusing them on the, on the, about the true state of what's unfolding in so many ways. And it's all, it's making us sicker as well, Richard. I mean, inhaling these elements, uh, aluminum is a, a neurotoxin and a population that is, and I'm not listing this as any sole objective. I'm just simply saying it's a, it's a result of climate engineering that certainly and arguably serves those in power. The dumber the population is, the less functional they are, the easier they are to control. And if we just look at statistical facts, we know we're all breathing aluminum. Our lab tests have proven that. There's no disputing that. We know we all have mercury in us from coal-fired power plants, from amalgam fillings and other sources. We have peer-reviewed science study to prove that when you mix, for example, the syner- it's called synergistic toxicity between aluminum and mercury makes the overall toxicity increase a hundred times. That's 10,000% worse. And we've seen IQs drop statistically in the U S six to nine points in the last, I believe three decades, six to nine points. Alzheimer's too, right? Okay. Now on that note, Yes, there is. Alzheimer's, dementia, ALS, elements linked directly to aluminum exposure. In fact, so much so that the world's foremost expert on aluminum toxicity, Dr. Scott Exley, indisputed world expert, who with peer-reviewed science study proved without aluminum in the equation, there would be no Alzheimer's in the normal human lifespan of 100 years. None without aluminum. What just happened to Scott Exley? He's just been systematically defunded from every conceivable direction. They have cut him off and thrown him off the bus because they don't want people to know. And we have, we have executives from the Alzheimer's or from the aluminum industry sitting on the Alzheimer's board. If you can imagine that we have the foxes running the hen house. So, and I tried at an Alzheimer's event in Northern California, I tried to offer a $500 donation for a booth there just to pass on data on aluminum toxicity. They immediately denied me that. I went to the event anyway with data. They threatened to arrest me on the spot. I invited them to do so. That would bring more attention to the issue. They declined and I distributed my data there. But um, that's, that's what we have, literally. The fox is running the hen house across the board. Members of the aluminum industry sitting on the Alzheimer's Foundation board. That's, that's incredible. It's, it's, are you serious? I mean, how how do they? <laughs> I can't even believe that. Uh, w- what possible justification would the aluminum industry have for putting their people on the Alzheimer's 
That's a so great question. Cool. But let's look at how the whole system works. So what do we have in the uh, the same thing in uh, big pharma? We have big pharma people uh, rotating right into government posts and right back to big pharma. It's the revolving yeah. doors. It's how the, the entire system works this way, you know. And, and certainly, and with um, Dane, the the media would 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 that we love and trust would expose this um, set of heinous uh, international uh, crimes of of mass murder and even treason in this case, right? Yeah, we're going to be holding our breath an awful long time for that one, aren't we? What do you know about the media? What what what, what experience have you had uh, w- regarding the media on this issue? Well, they couldn't be more corrupt. I mean, in Northern California alone, we've had events here, and all of the geoengineeringwatch.org public events are free. Everything's free. Our materials free. The events free. We pay for the speakers out of pocket. So we've had events that have filled to capacity, thousand seat auditoriums in Northern California with Forest Service experts we've had military people defense industry people in all media here some abc and and some is uh i think the uh i'm not sure it's comcast they all refused to cover our event in any way shape or form and they told us so that they would never ever cover that event no matter how big of a a uh, regional event it was, and no matter how many, no matter how many people it drew, no matter how many experts are there, they would never cover any of it. And and I think that should uh, be a signal. And and we've had even going worse, Richard. And this would be something I'm sure you've encountered. We've had local engineering firms in Northern California refuse us as a paying client to just do what they normally do in the course of their normal business. To, to test, for example, frozen precipitation and give us the results, not their opinion. We just want the results. And they refuse to do so because they don't want in the middle of this issue. Let me carry it even further. And, I, and I've had personal meetings with Governor Newsom in the Capitol in Sacramento and his top aide, and they didn't try to refute the data that we presented because they couldn't. And they've done exactly nothing. I've spoken in front of the California Energy Commission who recognized they were losing 20 to 40% of the state's rainfall from, quote, particulates of unknown origin. And why that's a problem with the California Energy Commission is because they're losing massive amounts of hydropower because there's no rain. I mean, we have dams completely shut off right now. So at that meeting, I presented data to their top scientists. And at that meeting, they voted for and approved the purchase of a $200,000 spectrometer from Scripps Institute to help identify the composition and origin of these particulates, that meter has never been seen or heard from since. Gone. Every fire that starts to burn, they put out. I've had interview requests from BBC, New York Times, USA Today, National Geographic, and and many others. Every single exchange is stopped before it can happen. I had hours of conversation with a National Geographic reporter who knew this was going on, was trying to weave it into a tree mortality episode and he got a boot put over his neck and that was it. I have emails from the state's top biologist on the Delta smelt issue, which is an endangered species here in California, that he was finding aluminum nanoparticulates adhered to their gills. And I have those emails and we may subpoena him because we're in the process of taking legal action right now. But same thing, boot over his neck, communications severed, same with fish and game context I have. They are doing everything they can to, to mask this issue because if the public finds out again, I would argue they will take to the streets with 
no, no matter how apathetic they've been, you know, that this is an issue which if they realize the fires, the lack of water, all of it can be connected to climate engineering. Because in the lack of rain, this is important too. I want to give you all the science data I can. It can't rain less than a warming planet without a fact we're not being told about. The laws of physics make that clear. The atmosphere holds 7% more moisture for every degree C of warming. And I know you're a science-based individual if ever there was. But we have less overall rain on a warming planet now. Less that, overall rain on a warming planet. Can't happen without an element we're not being told about. That element is climate engineering. It's completely disrupting the hydrological cycle. Uh, okay, let's go back to the polymer fibers then. What, what are these? How do you have proof of them? What do you imagine that they would be put uh, in there for? Polymer fibers are also used for a nucleating element. Nucleating we have a, element. What, explain that. It, ice nucleates around a particle. So you, you need a particle. It, it, it helps the nucleation process begin. Without that, if you have um, completely particle-free water, you, you can have temperatures as low as negative 20 with no ice forming. But you put a particle in there, and it, it changes the entire equation instantly. In fact, with, with chemically nucleating agents, we have – lab tests, videos showing a beaker of water with chemically nucleating elements dropped into it. It freezes that beaker instantly. That's how profound that, that nucleation process can be. So again, their ability to affect the climate system is absolutely profound. Their ability to engineer winter weather events when they choose, to cool the surface temperatures when they choose. And if people think back historically, I mean, when have you seen Events like what I described in Denver, 85 degree all-time high to 12 in 24 hours. We saw Amarillo, Texas in, it was May 1st, 2013, record high in Amarillo, Texas of 100 degrees, 100 degrees, snowed the next day, 100 degrees to snow. We saw in 2013, October 4th, 2013, 100,000 cattle killed in South Dakota. October 4th from a freak snowstorm, these are cold, hardy cattle that died and four days later were sitting in the mud because the snow should have never happened to begin with. And at the same time, we recorded the weather maps and we have them posted at geoengineeringwatch.org. At the same time, it was snowing at 40 degrees, by the way. Snow started at 40 degrees in South Dakota, October 4th. It was 85 degrees and raining in Chicago. It was 89 degrees and raining in Kansas City. And yet it's a snowstorm, a blizzard in October. Uh, again, the amount of weather warfare issues that we we see, and, and again, whatever, whatever their purpose is, whatever they state their purpose is or their objective, this is weather warfare. There's there's no uh, wrapping it in any other form. Well, the, the, so you're saying that they insert polymer fibers because it is it, it starts um, a gathering around itself uh, of of, uh, of of a nucleating ice. But not just polymer. We have surfactants. We have ammonium, barium. Uh, in fact, if you those two elements, ammonium and barium specifically, very profound nucleating elements, urea, synthetic urea, listed in climate engineering patents. Again, if your listeners go through the engineering winter section, they'll find posts like the Nolenberg patent, chemically ice nucleating patent that specifically describes with these elements and, and synthetic urea. For example, is one element. 
and barium that they can nucleate ice up to six degrees C positive. So you're into the 45 degree range. We have recordings of weather events where snow is falling at 50 degrees in some regions. So and we have the massive hail now happening all over. I'm sure you've seen some of that massive hail now falling, falling in countless regions around the globe, doing immense damage. Again, yet another red flag harbinger of climate engineering and chemical ice nucleation. Okay. So um, you started to answer a question about uh, the engines in the planes uh, being capable, or at least that there's data that shows that these uh, these agents that are dispersed uh, could, in, in some cases, uh, be be put in the fuel and therefore expelled out of the engine. Do you think that's rare, or is that more uh, uh, typical? We don't think it's rare, but we don't think it's typical. So when you see a very uniform, short, bright trail that seems to disperse, that is more indicative of what is likely a fuel additive in that case. In the case of commercial carriers, we are not in any way, shape, or form implicating commercial aircraft personnel. In fact, we're working with some of them who know this is going on, who are distributing our materials very covertly in pilot lunchrooms and so forth. They, they know their aircraft are being used for these operations, but it is not commercial personnel involved. In the case of commercial aircraft, these systems are, mod- are automated, and again, commercial personnel not involved and much smaller payloads. And you remember when all the luggage thing happened with commercial carriers where suddenly you, you had to limit your luggage, you couldn't carry on as much. And, and that's about the time we saw a big ramp up in climate engineering. And, and certainly in order for a commercial aircraft to carry some payload, even though it pales in comparison to what a military tanker can carry. In fact, a, a military KC-135 can carry 100 tons up to the top of the tropopause region, depending on where they are on the planet, because the atmospheric layers vary in their elevation. In the the polar regions, the stratosphere can be as low as 23, 24,000 feet. So these tankers can carry full payload for those altitudes, commercial carriers, much smaller payload. But we know commercial aircraft are being used because we have them on film. We have up close film footage of them dispersing on off nozzles visible end of the argument they're being used but let's consider this as well we know that the u.s dod as of about three months ago was leasing no less than 800 commercial aircraft stripping out the interiors and using them for what we don't know 800 commercially marked commercial aircrafts why would the u.s dod need 800 more commercial aircraft uh for any operation they're doing. They have thousands of tankers already. And again, it it's another red flag as to the severity of the situation, the increased dispersions of aerosols, the lack of blue skies. And Richard, you must have noticed that, and most people are now, that blue skies are not so common anymore. And that's a, that's a primary consequence that we are told by the climate science community that we would expect with climate engineering if they were doing it. Okay. Dane, uh, I've asked a, a number of questions. Uh, apparently, there's lots of others that want to ask questions, too. So we're going to bring Gail in, and Gail, help us to, uh, to, to uh, find out if we, can, if we have more questions and how, we're gonna, how Dane's going to handle them. All right. 
Um, so I'm going to read some of these questions. And I think there's a setting on StreamYard that's been changed because I cannot copy the questions from the public comments into the private chat. So I'm going to the public or the social media platforms to get them. So hey, bear let me with tell me. You, Gail, uh, when, when you showed some of those uh, comments uh, onto the uh, onto the screen, everybody could see them. So on at least two or three occasions, I immediately unshowed them uh, because I didn't know if you knew that all of our viewers were watching them too, because uh, so were you aware of that? Yes. And th I figured that out. So somehow okay. you gave, somehow you gave me um, the only option I have instead of copying the questions and pasting them when I go to copy them I put them on the screen for everybody to see so that was happening so that's why I had to stop <laughs> okay Trying. you can you yes. can do that if you want if you know you're putting it on the screen uh, no it won't work it. yeah what? it won't work it won't work like that I think you changed a setting somewhere but anyways I can read the questions that I copied from over from social media great thanks yes so let's find the first one here. Um, Paul says, I am a meteorologist. I would love to see the documentation of the NOAA plane, NOAA plane that collected and tested contrails. When and where did this happen? It happened over the East Coast in several flights, and he can watch the entire process start to finish. Top scientist in that plane by viewing our groundbreaking documentary, The Dimming. And those samples were processed at one of the world's most renowned labs. All of it's on film, all of it's in The Dimming. Awesome, yes, and a lot of people, a lot of the viewers are posting the link to that video for everyone to see. It's necessary, so that... it's necessary for them to post the link also because Facebook immediately tried to hamper our sharing of The Dimming documentary um, because of a single scientist from Cornell University named Dr. Douglas McMartin, whom I debated on air live uh, on WBIA in New York uh, several years ago. And he clearly carried a vendetta because the data's on our side. He didn't fare well in that debate. And he simply told Facebook, I say it isn't so. No, no attempt to match our testing, to duplicate our testing. He just said, I, I say it isn't so. And Facebook flagged us. So it's necessary to share the link Facebook won't allow the sharing, but we are in the process right now of suing Dr. McMartin and he will be served shortly. The complaint is already done. It's 23 pages long and he had no basis for flagging our documentary. Uh, and we had top scientists involved all the way through. So we we're trying to put a shot across their bow that it's not okay that they hide this kind of data from the public. And uh, hopefully we will be bringing that to a head soon. Mm -hmm. So watch the dimming. Uh, how long is this uh, movie? An hour and 55 minutes. And, There's and testimony, testimony in the dimming also from uh, former uh, two U.S. Air Force generals, former Fish and Game, former Forest Service U Union of Concerned Scientists, uh, former presidential advisors, former Canadian premier. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. What else is in the, in the movie, Dean? documentation of, of again, our, our testing of environmental consequences of historical uh, 
the processes of climate engineering, how it evolved, the effects, the ozone diminishment. I mean, it's it's we covered a lot of bases in that film. All right. Recommended to everybody then. Uh, I, I, I meant to see that one before you came on and I didn't get a chance, but I'm going to watch it. Thank you. Thank you for making it. It was a, an extraordinary, an extraordinarily difficult process. Again, even acquiring the NOAA lab um, came at great expense and, and uh, a lot of difficulty there. And there was some blowback for those that helped us acquire that, that flying lab. Gotcha. Um, now, people can watch it right here on your website, geoengineering.org, right? A geoengineering watch. And very important to have geoengineeringwatch.org because oh. geoengineering.org is a pro-geoengineering website that it's really a propaganda site to try to convince people that we should do this, that we're not already, but we should. So it's the watch part is very important to have in there, geoengineeringwatch.org. Is that that uh, Keith character? David Keith is one. And, and in the Tell us about him, Ding. He's the face of geoengineering disinformation. And thank you for asking about Dr. Keith. I would, well, I, I have to bite my tongue if I, I can't really say what I, I think of such individual, but it's a source, it's, it's a, an example of what's wrong in the world for me. But they can see in the dimming, they can see film footage of me confronting Dr. Keith. Oh, at an international geoengineering conference, in which they allowed about three questions of a hundred researchers that were there. And I was one. And my question to Dr. Keith was after his symposium for three hours of proposing, putting 10 million tons of aluminum nanoparticulates into the atmosphere. My question to him was, have any toxicological studies been done, human or environmental? His first paraphrased answer was, well, we looked at particulate loading in the atmosphere, there's, I'm paraphrasing, a lot of stuff up there anyway, a little more won't hurt. Wait a minute, Dr. Keith, that, those particulates are not aluminum. Have you studied aluminum? He said, let me be more careful. His final answer was, we haven't studied any of it. Could terrible things happen tomorrow? We don't know. What kind of a statement is that from the world's most recognized geoengineer? And it's on film and on the record, and it's in the dimming. Wow, great. Got to see that well, one. They banned me, by the way, for that what? question. They banned me from future conferences for asking that question. You got to be more careful, my friend. Only ask the polite questions. It seems. Yeah. Gail? Uh, Gail, you're on mute. <laughs> Oops. Yes, this is a question from Claudio. He says, he asks, is this why in some states collecting rainwater is a criminal offense? Huh. Well. I would argue that in, in those states, there the motive behind that law is more primarily related to managing water resources. But I will say this again: we've had a number of labs refuse to simply process a water test for us, a precipitation test, because they don't want in the middle of this issue. And I, I'm very trouble the human behavior in that, that let's all just pretend that the Titanic isn't sinking. And um, the human race needs to get past that. We all need to do our part, but we've had, if you're, if any of your listeners are testing precipitation for bioavailable aluminum, I would advise them not to inform the lab why they are testing. Uh, kind of like when we we're looking for tests for thermite and nanothermite in the World Trade Center dust. Exactly. Uh, we have to be 
a little coy with uh, some of these uh, testing uh, uh, companies. Exactly. Okay. Next question is from Susie. She asks, what happened with Hurricane Katrina and Sandy? And even more bizarre is what happened to the hurricane that was approaching New York the days before 9-11? Again, where we can most accurately and scientifically monitor the steering of storms is once they are over land, we can track the microwave facility steering of these storms because we, we don't have, there's, there's sea-based X-band radar. It's called SBX radar. It's, it looks like a giant golf ball on an oil platform. And that is definitely a weapon of mass destruction as well, because we see over oceans, we see low pressure areas that are historically round. It's a rotating storm is round. It doesn't have square corners. We have images of square clouds, literally square NASA images. So we have the ability for them to manipulate over oceans as well. But in regard to the storms in question, the um, we have not recorded those storms because once they hit land, they were allowed to blow apart. And the other storms that were steered across the U.S. landmass, we have recorded those. And there's a number of them. Again, if your listeners search geoengineeringwatch.org hurricanes, they'll find a number of articles. And Use a search engine other than Google. Google can be a little tougher to find our data because they're trying to hide it. In fact, on that note, to give you an idea of the Google censorship, geoengineeringwatch.org, because we've had over 38 million visitors to our non-political database site, we were the top of the first page of the search of the geoengineering term. But about a year plus ago, overnight, Google completely deleted us from 20 pages of data on the subject. Gone. Overnight. You must be making some headway. Yeah. If you search our exact name, you can find us. Okay. Yeah, I want to make that clear. If you search geoengineeringwatch.org, you should find us, although sometimes we're down the page even then. But of the geoengineering term, which is what people all over the world were searching and finding us in the in the subheading under our title is exposing the global climate engineering cover-up. They didn't want that. And anyway, uh, the rest is history. But yeah. You got to dig a little. Okay. This question is from Joseph. He asks, if the droughts in the West Coast are largely manufactured, what is the purpose of geoengineering the current low-pressure atmospheric river drenching the West Coast? Again, you can only push things so far before even people in the meteorological community and others begin to wonder what's really wrong. So what do they do with this fire hose that they just sent on us here in the West. Now, one, it wasn't nearly as as historical as they tried to imply. We had actually, because I'm in Northern California. I'm on the east side of Lake Shasta. So we got a significant amount of rain, no question. But we had many of those days that we were, it was advertised that we would get rain and we didn't. We get a perpetual drip. So as they fire hose this moisture in, as I described earlier in this broadcast, they're aerosolizing it on top of the clouds. And we know because we can hear them in my quiet forested location. It sounds like you're underneath the end of an LAX runway. It's a constant parade of jets. So we have day after day of just drip, 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 drip. No convection, no variance in the storm, no features in the sky. 
and then they'll let a significant amount fall at a certain point and then they back off again. And that's, that's what they're doing right now. But let's, let's go back to when this first started to happen, this ridiculously resilient ridge, which is what the meteorologists have turned what's blocking the rain in California. That was first implemented. And that is a result, Richard, that is from an ionosphere heater to create that atmospheric high pressure blocking ridge. That's first started to occur in 2000 and in 2007, 2008. What happened in 2007 that might have triggered that? Because one of our biggest rain years ever here was 2006. We had 105 inches where I live. Arctic ice in 2007, for the first time in recorded history, began to completely implode. Near the end of the melt season, we were losing 100,000 square miles of Arctic surface ice a day. 100,000 square miles at the end of the melt season. And they knew that the attempt to hide that, they would need to play other cards. What happened in 2008? Let's get back to the fires and what I mentioned earlier and the fact that that is a way that the geoengineers geoengineers are achieving their atmospheric particulate loading. In 2008, we had a freak storm that caused about 8,000 lightning strike fires. And I was in the thick of those, running a D6 bulldozer on my land, working with Forest Service and CAL FIRE, trying to stop some of those fires. But the immense amount of fires in California that happened that year and the blocking ridge of high pressure that started this process that we've been on ever since, in 08 and 09, miraculously, and much to the surprise of the entire polar ice science community, the surface area of the ice began to rebound in in spite of the continued heating, in spite of all the other data factors. And they were perplexed at how this could happen. And again, now we know from many sources that the the smoke from these fires rotates all the way to the polar regions, provides additional cooling, because smoke does provide temporary cooling. Most people don't realize most of smoke is water vapor. When you're liberating the water from the forest, it, it helps to form smoke, and smoke does provide temporary cooling. It sounds very paradoxical, but it's it's hard science fact. So again, the blocking of the precipitation, the drying out of the forests, many probable objectives, and the all of those covered in great detail in in this heading. If they can, your listeners search wildfires serve geoengineering agenda, one of our most important reports. So we've seen the same thing happen in Australia. Richard, you remember Australia incinerating in 2019, correct? Yeah, yeah. And that was at a point where the Antarctic sea ice began to implode and we see that type of implementation there. And, and people would ask, of course, are they that desperate? Are they desperate enough to incinerate some of our last remaining life support systems to provide temporary cooling to mask the severity of what's unfolding slightly longer? And the answer would appear to be yes. And again, in regard to climate engineering being the factor that is primarily blocking the precipitation, we're not guessing. Satellite imagery proves conclusively we can see on satellite what they're doing off the u.s west coast and they are absolutely breaking up storm tracks and there's no question about that so again if they search the engineering drought section they'll see the the weather scenarios that are related to this the high pressure dome spinning clockwise in the northern hemisphere and where the moisture is going and being used to cool alaska and some of the polar regions so they've at this point so derailed the entire system that it would appear they're chasing a ball downhill that they really it's increasingly chaotic and i would at this point richard i would call these climate disruption operations uh-huh yeah it sure sounds like it uh they're 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 
They're not helping things. Uh, okay, let's go to another question again. All right. This is from Jesse. And I think that his question is sort of already answered, but it's a good one. He says, what is a collapse? What does a collapse of the climate look like? Oh, that's a great question. In fact, if I could weave another one into that so we don't miss it. First, um, the collapse itself, what people need to understand is that we've been trained, even in academia, and this is not an accident, that such scenarios are linear, that we can look backward at a graph and project that forward and have some idea of what's going to come. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We're facing an unimaginably non-linear equation. We think there may be as many as 50 feedback loops in full swing right now, 50 or more. And a feedback loop, for example, let's take the methane, which I described earlier, as the planet heats and the oceans have absorbed 90% of that heat so far. And that's thawing and releasing formerly frozen methane, hydrate, and clathrate deposits on the seafloor and in tundra. And this is, Richard, this is the Bermuda Triangle scenario for the last how many decades, ship sinkings. These are methane releases. What you have is methane fields, when they reach a destabilizing point, the entire field releases at once, aerates the water like a bottle of champagne. The ships have no buoyancy, and they go to the bottom intact. And that's exactly oh, what's been happening. And that methane migrates into the atmosphere where it's, where it spans out and begins to trap more heat. So the more methane that's released, the more heating that occurs, releasing even more methane, which causes even more heating. Uh, and as we lose Arctic ice, the ice reflected 90% of the Earth's incoming thermal energy. Now the open ocean absorbs 90%. These are feedback loops, which makes the equation unimaginably nonlinear. So we're facing what's scientifically termed as an abrupt climate collapse. We are on an incredibly short timeline if we remain in the current course. If we can expose and halt climate engineering, that's our best chance to buy time. And what happens when that happens? Because many people ask that. If, they stop, if we stop climate engineering, will everything go back to normal? No, absolutely not. We're through the guardrail. We've damaged the planet in countless ways. And again, I, I readily acknowledge that, and geoengineeringwatch.org does, that the human race has been unimaginably poor stewards of the planet. We're incinerating 100 million barrels of hydrocarbon fuel a day. We've cut down the forest. We've paved the planet. But climate engineering, the worst of all, because it's hampering the planet's attempt to respond to that damage. The blowback from stopping climate engineering, the energy that's built up in the system is incalculable. No one knows how severe that is. If we don't allow that to happen, then I would argue statistically we have no chance, even for near-term survival. But Not even with, with carbon taxes? <laughs> you know, all the efforts we see the so-called green community doing, and I, I, I would I want to point out to listeners too, I have a background there again, solar, I'm off-grid, solar, wind, and hydro. But that's not renewable energy as we've been trained and taught. That's an alternate form of energy. Is it better than hydrocarbon fuel burning? Certainly. But how many people know, for example, that in the production of solar panels, we use hexafluorothane. It's 17,000 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. Nobody really advertises that one, do they? If, if your listeners want to know about so-called green energy, I would recommend watching this film, Planet of the Humans. It's a very profound documentary on the, the reality of so-called renewable energy. And a facility I worked on is in that film. It's a blowing field of sand now in the middle of Mojave Desert. First solar plant of its type built in the U.S. And I worked on that facility. Gone. It was never viable. 
And again, that film is imperative to watch. But that being said, again, back to collapse and what happens if we can free the planet from the climate engineering straitjacket, allow it to respond, hydrological cycle will be furious. And again, we're through the guardrail. That happened about 20 years ago, the point of no return. Statistically, we're past that. But all the green science community, Richard, at this point, and COP26 is coming up, you know that. And, and at these climate conferences, what they're doing is this. They're not actually discussing changing business as usual in any way, shape, or form. They're strong-arming everyone to go along with climate engineering. If we look at previous conferences, Copenhagen, Cancun, at the time of those conferences, there was record cold temperatures at the conference. What a convincing sales pitch for geoengineering that was. Record cold temperatures at the, t- at the conference with surrounding temperatures above average. How does that happen? Climate engineering is how. So they're convincing these nations to go along with climate engineering. No one intends to cut carbon. Business as usual until nothing is left. And it's called, when you stop climate engineering, it's called double catastrophe scenario because the climate engineers would have us believe we can never stop once we start. But that's like Mm -hmm. telling a drug addict, you just need to keep upping your doses. We know where that goes. Well, how are they going to get their carbon tax uh, collection system going if, uh, if, if they don't uh, sell the problem in a, in a bigger way. Well, they'll continue to sell it and they'll continue to collect what they can. It's a me- another mechanism of me- of control, period. But again, from any side of the fence, from any perspective, there is no legitimate discussion on climate without addressing this issue first and foremost. Gotcha. Gail? You're on mute. Yes, I did forget I was on mute again. This is a question from Baska. It's B-A-S-K-A. So forgive me if I didn't pronounce it correctly. And he says, Dane, the masses will never be informed on these issues, including 9-11. Therefore, how can these evil forces be geoengineering, behind geoengineering, be stopped realistically? That's a really profound, important question. That's my, that's, that's my least favorite question. <laughs> it's my, for us, it's a little bit different perspective in this way. And that is one of the reasons why I'm focused on this issue so intensely. And I, again, I, I, 9-11 is another issue that I am focused on as well. But in the case of the climate engineering onslaught, the ramifications are so grave, accelerating so rapidly and, and so total that you cannot put it in the rearview mirror. Our biosphere is collapsing by the day. We're going to have empty market shelves soon. We are importing about $50 billion worth of food from countries that are literally starving to death to keep U.S. store shelves stocked until the last possible moment. And so you can't ignore this issue much longer. And and I agree with the the, uh, perspective of of this question completely. But in this case, when people are forced to have their heads ripped out of the sand, when their heads are are proverbially ripped out of the sand, they can no longer ignore what's unfolding around them. And we are perilously close to that moment. If we can sow enough seeds of awareness so that they know what's happening to them and why, that their lives, their former paradigm is over, it's done, it's not coming back in any time frame that matters. And here's Again, I, I, everything I deal with are statistics. 
If we look at past paleo events, events in Earth's history, former mass extinctions, and the most comparable to today is the Pedum event, the Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum from 55 million years ago, methane mass extinction. But it happened over a time span hundreds of times longer than this, which makes this incalculably worse. But the equilibrium period after that mass extinction was about 10 to 20 million years. I think that puts it into perspective. Anybody's notion that you stop inflicting the damage and everything is fine. It couldn't be further from the truth. Planet cannot support the human population. That's a given. So at this point, the best we can do, and I would argue this is worth fighting for, is to change the flavor of total collapse, to change the the flavor of the concrete wall that we are all about to hit at full velocity. If we can educate enough of the population, especially our military brothers and sisters that are participating, that they are literally pounding the nails into their own collective coffins as well. We have a chance to change the flavor of what we face. And if we can expose and halt what's happening in our skies, expose issues like 9-11 so that people realize just how diabolical this cancer of control is, we would we would free the planet from this interference with its attempt to respond. And in doing so, we may buy time. And if we can do that, we can start to, to look at other, um, other actions we can take. But the bottom line is, in this case, people will be forced to face what's happening. They will not have a choice for much longer. So it's, it's, um, it's not hopeless. Um, if, if, if people wake up uh, and expose the, the perpetrators uh, of the geoengineering and, and of 9-11 and, and the whole control grid, uh, but the, the questioner is asking, what is the chances of that? If he isn't, uh, I'm sure he is now. Um, uh, and, 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 and that is my least favorite question. I need to remain positive in order to remain active. It's still inevitable. And this is why, again, with 9-11, why? Because you form such a credible group. Because you, you, with when you can pass that DVD on, and I do it personally in so many cases. In fact, I met with... Um, California officials uh, a week ago uh, from uh, CDC, and that's in, in the case of California, that's California Department of Corrections because they run the fire inmate crews, and I, I know those people, and I met with Cal Fire, and I pass on your DVD. And, and when you can explain to them that this is 3,000-plus of the world's top architects and engineers, you have their attention immediately. And if you can wake them up, if you, to get them to look at your research on Building 7, and if, if they can wake up and face that, it opens their eyes to so much more, including climate engineering. So these issues are, are complementary in that sense that anybody who wakes up to one has is, is now cleared their the lens through which they see the world, and now they can see other issues. Again, we have people that are have now woken up to the climate engineering insanity that now are uh, completely able to assimilate the data on 9-11 because they're no longer looking through a clouded lens. Mm-hmm. Okay, Gail, you have another question? Yes, here's a question from Gary, and he says, I'm 58 years old. I've never seen any of these trails in the sky. How do you explain that? I'm in Australia. That's, that's perplexing because we have uh, countless contacts in Australia and have posted countless photos from Australia and I would, I would caution him not to just look for a long linear trail from horizon to horizon. There are many variances of this one. The particulates scatter out. It can be 
hazy white skies, wispy looking, uh, what are termed stratospheres, but they're actually particulate clouds. So um, I don't know where he's at or or what how much he's looking up, but we have countless contacts in Australia, posted countless photos. In fact, if he goes to the geoengineeringwatch.org photo gallery page, we have the largest collection of shocking images anywhere in the world. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. You got to keep your, your eyes up in the skies uh, if you want to really notice uh, stuff. Um, Gail, is there another question? <clears throat> Gail? Oh, Gail. Now she's not on mute this time. I'm trying to get to all these questions. There's actually a bunch of them. Can you hear me uh, now? There you go. Okay. There is actually a control on the cord of my microphone that I didn't know was there. <laughs> um, and then I must have bumped it. Um, let's see if there's any more questions here. Um, Anthony asked, are they doing anything with or over the Great Lakes? Very much so. We see, we just saw record snows in, I think, uh, Erie. Uh, and this is another one of those events, like I described earlier, like in Boston, because they can create the lake effect snow, even when they're not able to generate snows elsewhere. They created a very sensationalized in Buffalo. I mean, it was in Buffalo, New York, but over one of the uh, lakeside communities and they pile up the snow because they can just stream uh, the pattern across the lake, pick up moisture and dump it in one spot. So you have this little bullseye of excessive snow and all the media hypes on that. And there's no snow anywhere else. So in, we actually recorded a satellite image of a 10 mile wide, 300 mile long stripe of snow across completely flat topography in Kansas. Huh. I mean, how glaring can that be? You know, that is the result of an aircraft dispersing over a surface layer a 10 mile wide 300 mile long stripe of snow i mean this is such a glaring elephant in the room the meteorological community they all know this is going on all of them if if, if they have higher than a room temperature iq they know this is going on and we've spoken to many who do know but it's simply a very bad career decision to to make mention of this at all and and we have other interesting thing happen happen also like at the weather channel we had their top modeling specialist. His name was Nick Wiltgren, I think. He was suicided in the Weather Channel parking garage, and he was the individual most likely to be fully aware of these programs. And it's interesting, his family said never, never, ever. He would never do that. This car wow. accelerated out of control into a concrete wall, and that was the end of Nick. And wow. we have interesting circumstances like that. It doesn't take too many incidents like that to send a chill. And again, we have a federal gag order on all National Weather Service and no employees. We had a Fox meteorologist tell us that he was taken into room with other Fox meteorologists and told, you don't say a word about this issue, period. And yet, and we also have recorded those some from mainstream media, and this is on the dimming as well, pointing out what appears on radar to be rain. And the meteorologist one, in one case said, I'm from the military, and I can tell you right now that's not rain. That's military dispersions. So you have a few that slipped through the cracks, and we have that on the dimming as well. Ah, good work. What are we looking at on the screen here, Dean? 
Oh, that's uh, now that's anybody who doesn't recognize there's something radically wrong with that. That's some of our satellite imagery. And by the way, they're scrubbing that now. You can't find those types of images anymore. We've recorded them all, but that is RF microwave transmission on heavily seated uh, marine layer. And you see the alignment much like you have, if you put iron shavings on a glass table and you put a magnet underneath, they align those lines of flux. And so you, you see the manipulation of that marine layer. And anybody who thinks nature did that needs to really rethink their reality. And there's transmitters all along the California coast. You mean uh, literally like oil platforms uh, out, out at sea? No, no. The pl- what I described before, that's that's called an SBX platform. That's a, a, a dedicated platform. That is, you would recognize an SBX platform if you saw it. You can look it up. It looks like a giant golf ball sitting on top of an oil platform. If you search it online, you'll find SBX platforms. That's exactly what they are for. But no, in this case, that close to uh, the U.S. West Coast, uh, you have land-based transmitters there that are able to achieve that type of manipulation from those facilities. For what purpose in this case? Marine layer creation. Again, the heating of the oceans is is cataclysmic. We're plummeting toward what's known, uh, we're, we're hurling toward what's known as Canfield Ocean. That's a lifeless, superheated, oxygenless, stratified dead zone. We have about 500 dead zones around the world right now. They're growing rapidly. The global pelagic fish populations, that's the food fish, 90% gone. We've just seen the crab population completely crash this year. Bluefin tuna, 98% gone, not going to be eating fish much longer. And again, I've, I've dove all over the world. I've been a certified diver since I was 14 years old. And I've been on expeditions to the, the Barrier Reef, uh, remote places in the Sea of Cortez, and uh, South Seas, New Zealand. And the marine life is disintegrating completely. And so in the what you see there, in an attempt to enhance the marine layer, and you have what's known as cloud albedo enhancement specifically to try to enhance the marine layer to try to shade the ocean. But again, at what cost? I mean, when you're interfering with the entire system and you're actually, and there was just a study released on this because of the type of cloud formation that they're seeing over the Eastern Pacific now, which is where that image was taken. It's inhibiting the natural cloud production. So how insane is that? I mean, we're exchanging a toxic artificial cloud that destroys the ozone layer at the cost of diminishing the planet's own ability to create cloud and marine layers. So, again, it, it comes down to a, a runaway juggernaut of insanity that simply craves power and control at any cost. There's a high bypass turbofan jet engine I see you have pulled up there. <laughs> yeah, you want to you mention something about that in two minutes it's, or less? It's well, you can click it and you'll see the animation spinning, I think. And you can, I wouldn't let run the whole thing because you listeners heard most of it, but they can see the spinning and see how that works. They, they should see an animation right there. What's the point though? Um, just to show that, that the air that passes through it is not combusted, and that's the bottom line. And even looking at the diagram right there, okay, I can explain what that is. You see, the only combusted air moves through the very center, the core of that engine, and everything around it which is the propulsion, the primary propulsion of that engine, is just a fan pushing air. 
that doesn't produce condensation in that matter. Uh -huh. So again, that's the point of that engine. Do you, so most commercial jets uh, don't don't uh, produce the the streams of particulates that we're talking about. Uh, no, they they do, but it's again from a nozzle mounted on the pylon aimed in the exhaust jet stream, and the engine themselves, a high bypass only under rare and extreme circumstances can produce a naturally occurring condensation trail. But commercial aircraft, as I stated, are being used. And we have up close photographs of the retrofit nozzles mounted on the pylons and in the exhaust jet stream. We have that. And many people, some will try to claim, Richard, that what we see then being dumped out of those nozzles is fuel. Now, I mean, it doesn't take uh, a big intellect to realize they're not going to dump fuel into the exhaust jet stream. Okay. So um, uh, that's, that'd be very expensive. Yes. Uh, so where can we see those nozzles here? Uh, you'd have to search. Um, search. You need, a, you need a search function on your website. Uh, we, we do. And it's, it's, we're having troubles with that. If you search on a, on an, uh, just a search engine, if you search geoengineeringwatch.org um, nozzles, you should find it. We make, we make our, our, Posts, you know, with names that make them easy to search, and it's it's in the jet spraying section somewhere, I'm sure. But if you search geoengineeringwatch.org nozzles, we have about 2,400 posts on our site, so there's a lot to post. You'd have to search it on an actual search engine, though. Yeah, I, I searched on it up above. Um, what is graphene? Graphene is uh, now there is data to indicate that physicians and very credible international physicians have found graphene in samples of the CV19 vaccines. Graphene is a very insidious element. It's a very profound element and the science community is touting its uses. What we found and what this video is about is we found science study to indicate that graphene is being used as an ice nucleating element. And again, graphene, if you look at the toxicological effects, is beyond horrifying. So the fact that we are likely inhaling this, along with it very possibly being in the CV-19 concoctions, is, is truly alarming. And graphene, and this is important, graphene is also used for a biological carrier. So it can, in theory, carry a biological element from the clouds to the ground. So let me back up to Dr. Ken Caldera that I mentioned earlier, who was is the second most recognized, recognized. This is very important what I'm about to say. So I hope your listeners are tuning into this. That Dr. Ken Caldera, who worked for the US Department of Defense, who I mentioned earlier, talked about what he did was try to create ways of creating theological defense. On that Hold on, repeat I, that. We lost you. Oh. Um, going back to uh, what I stated earlier about Dr. Ken Caldera, who now works for David, or excuse me, Bill Gates. And this is, this is profoundly important with very grave ramifications. As I mentioned earlier, Dr. Ken Caldera, who formerly worked for the DOD, he stated one of his functions was to design ways of creating geologic events, i.e. like what we describe potential seismic events. On that same audio, he states this, another function that he did was to try to come up with methods to spray clouds with pathogens to infect the populations below. We have him saying that in his own words. Okay. So now we find graphene in a ice nucleating science study 
to be used for weather modification for ice nucleating. We know graphene is also used for a biological carrier, so it could potentially carry a pathogen from the cloud to the ground. And now we have Bill Gates, or excuse me, we have Ken Caldera working for Bill Gates. We have Bill Gates calling him his most amazing teacher. And now let's look at the initial CV-19 spread. We had... um let's let's use alternative language so we don't get uh, popped off of okay. YouTube. Okay, then um you can you can make your points, but it's 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 profound that we have the um initial official dis- uh showing up of the uh pathogen here in 25 countries in 3 days. And officially, we had in the second round, we had 85 countries in three days. That's a very profound and rapid and uniform dispersion. And it certainly would um, cause pause to consider everything else I just mentioned. Gotcha. Yeah. And and let me back that up even more. We have Italian peer-reviewed study that found CV-19 attached to airborne particulates. Really? Yep. Okay. So that's amazing. Um, Where can people learn more about that? Right here on this video? Actually, if they search that, they'll find the peer-reviewed study themselves. They can search Italian scientists um, detect uh, CV-19 on uh, pollution particles, airborne particulates. They'll find it. It's there. I, I had not heard that, Dane. Uh, I've, I've done a little bit of research on this subject. Wow. Um, let's go uh, to another question, Gail. Try a search engine other than Google because they are definitely. Um, go to Brave Browser. Something, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay. All right. This is from TM. And TM says, how has the power structure been able to pull off such a large-scale operation undisclosed to the public for 75-plus years? Would you say they count on our ignorance of such an issue to be a reality? Almost certainly, because they do this in in plain sight. And uh, don't pay attention to what you see with your lying eyes, okay? That's from chemical ice nucleation. That's... uh, my blood was boiling when I did that video. I explained that in a minute, but this is a climate engineering Manhattan project. And the vast majority involved have no real idea what they're doing. Was the pilot in Vietnam, for example, who was spraying agent orange on his comrade, was he told this will kill your pal on the ground? Of course not. Was he told that this will kill countless civilians over many decades to come? Of course not. So everybody's just doing their job like a cancer. And, and back to and let me weave this into the question because it's related. How many people ask, why would they do this to themselves? We hear that all the time. Why would they do this to themselves? And, and I would point out first, again, the nuclear detonations. It contaminated everything on the planet, everything. 2,400 nuclear detonations. We have Fukushima that may be an extinction level event by itself if other factors don't do the job first, which I would argue will be the case. Um, we have Chernobyl, which is about to melt down again. Many don't know that. The sarcophagus is disintegrating. And we're building 60 more new plants. We have 440 already up. It takes about 20 to 40 years to cold shut down those plants. So now we have climate engineering. And again, this is back to the question of why would they do this themselves? I'm giving examples of what they're doing to themselves. The cancer doesn't, 
A cancer doesn't consider the consequences. A cancer intends to proliferate until the host dies, and we're dealing with a cancer. So in the case of the 440 new plants that already exist, we have an atmosphere that's now been compromised. So weaving this back into climate engineering. Now if we have a major CME, a coronal mass ejection, solar flare, we have grids shut down all over the globe. New plants can't cool themselves. Now we have Fukushima times 100 or 200 or 300. Game over. Game over. So they're not taking any of this into consideration. None of it. Wow. Didn't consider that either. They, they don't have generators. I guess there's a limited amount of fuel, huh? Um, well, there, there is to keep those rods cool. And also you have, and this is another profound factor, you have a, a large number of new plants that are at sea level. And what do we do about that exactly? When we have, again, a very nonlinear meltdown occurring in the polar regions, and again, back to the feedback loops. You remember me discussing the feedback loops. So let's look at the polar meltdown and how much sea level rise we're facing in, a, in, a, in geologic terms in a very short time. All the Greenland ice, that's 21 to 24 feet of sea level rise. Antarctica is about 100, another 197. I'm not saying that's going to happen overnight, but it's happening exponentially fast and it's accelerating. And as the ice melts, for example, off of Greenland, this is a feedback loop, you have what's called glacial rebound. As the weight of that ice mass is lifted off the land mass, the land begins to rise up off the seafloor. And that displaces even more seawater. Huh. All of these factors feed each other and and we're facing immense sea level rise in a very short time frame and those new plants also um it's an inevitable meltdown so we, we we're painted into quite a corner and that the picture you see right there was one of my favorite places on my habitat preserve that's probably a 300 year old canyon live oak we went from 75 degrees to snow the next day this heavy concrete snow it's heavy because it's it's occurring at a temperature where snow shouldn't nucleate, so there's much more moisture content. It's like concrete. It sticks to the tree foliage, and it caused a cascading collapse of trees in one of the most beautiful places on my habitat. It looks like a bomb went off. Wow. And the very next day, this is uh, me standing there is literally hours after that much snow did that, and the snow's completely gone, just like the cows. And the day we, we it's, it's about a... Um, if you look in the background, I mean, it's, it's too long a video for us to watch here. It's about 16 minutes, but it's on, it's under the into the wild section on the, on the homepage. It caused a massive cascading collapse of trees that it literally looks like a bomb went off. And, and this is hours after the snow fell and there's not a bit of snow left. Think about that. It's, it's back up to 70 degrees. And that can't happen except by chemical ice nucleation. It, it devastated the whole the whole area. Incredible. And not just your property, but others? Oh, it's all over the forest. But that happened to be a particularly sacred place to me. And I just, I can't not do this, Richard. I'm like you. You know, I feel every bear, bat, bird, bee, uh, they, they don't have a voice except for us. And uh, none of us going to be around long if they're gone. Right. Good point. Um, Gail, more questions? Oh, you're on mute. You're still on mute. There you I are. Keep, I keep putting myself on mute because I don't want any unexpected noises. Um, yes, there's a question. Ziola asks, please ask Dane to explain how we breathe this in through our olfactory nerve. It's O-L and then factory nerve. Yes, and she's completely correct. 
that's what makes this aerial assault so insidious. And that's a great question that these particles are so small that they enter straight through the olfactory nerve, straight into the bloodstream, across the blood brain barrier where they are, where they attach to cell receptors like a plaque. And that plaque is very difficult to remove if not impossible in many cases. So with every breath we take, we are inhaling this and every human test subject that we've tested, hair, blood, urine, everybody's packed with these elements. And for some people that test their hair and don't find it, one, we don't know if that test was correct, but two, that can be a very bad sign because it means your body's not successfully pushing some of these elements out if it didn't show up in your hair because the elements are there. They're ubiquitous all over the planet. If your listeners search again back to the polymer fibers or aluminum, and it's showing up everywhere. And we have, going back even to the 50s, we had studies from Harvard, I believe, talking about the Arctic haze and the aluminum that they were finding in that haze, and they couldn't figure out where it was coming from. So we have a whole lot of people in academia, Richard, I know you know this better than anybody, that are paid not to know what's occurring. Yeah, exactly. Their job depends on them. Not knowing. Exactly. Yeah. Did you make the movie, What Are They Spraying? Or What in the World Are They Spraying? Um, that's our logo, actually, one of our logos. Um, I was in that film and um, I so. it, it, it did a lot of uh, it did a lot of good. The you know, the people that make it made it did a lot of good with that. It was an individual who actually was at the conference where I confronted Dr. Keith, and he was compelled to put that film together after that. Uh-huh. And uh, why in the world are they spraying? That was a follow-up, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, Gail, we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty quick. Uh, how many more questions would you like to give to Dane? Well, um, there looks like there aren't that many left. Ziola asked a good question earlier on. Um, she also asked, where are the bees? Which is also making a good point. You know, that's, that, that is a very important point. That's a really important point. In fact, thank you for bringing that up, Viola. And let's let's go here. Your listeners can search this. Search bees aluminum. And they'll find peer-reviewed science study that has concluded the bees are dying of symptoms that re resemble Alzheimer's and dementia in a human being. Why? Because they're packed full of aluminum. And the scientists just can't figure out where it's coming from. And think about this aluminum bees a thousand feet away, a thousand miles away from any farm or any urban, anything. The bees are dying of symptoms that resemble Alzheimer's and dementia in a human being because they're completely packed full of aluminum. They can't even find their way back to the hive. How about that? Peer reviewed science study. Is that not a red flag? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and the cell phones uh, also, the towers are seem to be confusing them too, if you looked at that. RF is a problem, no question. Yeah. But how can a problem like a peer-reviewed science study to prove that the bees are packed full of aluminum and dying of symptoms, the, the science report states that. If your listeners search bees aluminum, they'll find peer-reviewed science study to state that, covered by main international media. Fascinating. Okay, Gail, final question. Well, I actually don't see any. There's lots of great. <laughs> Good. There, there are a lot of great comments. People are making wonderful comments, but not specific questions. So I would encourage everyone to go on the different social media platforms like YouTube and Facebook 
and read a lot. And a lot of people are also posting links to different, I'm sure, articles or videos that look like they would be very, very good, very educational. So, yeah, there's a couple people that made comments and I didn't get a chance to capture their name off Facebook when I copied and pasted. But it's just, I think, good closing comments. One is um, this person said, smiling right now, seeing and hearing two of my favorite 10 year mentors of many coming together. So important to put the pieces together in order to see the larger picture watching from Edmonton. And then another person says, we need to get Dane and Dan Hanley together. Thank you, Richard, for opening up this conversation. This is very refreshing. Dane is fantastic. All right. Yeah, I agree, Dane. Thank you for joining us today. This has been incredible. It's an honor and pleasure. And I, I, I mean, I, I want to reflect that right back to you and the, the, your tenacity with carrying the torch on such a profoundly important event that if if we could if we could wake people up to that i mean that and, and it's the 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 footage you have captured the studies you have done i mean if we can wake them up to what that event was about i would argue that it would again clear the lens to see what's happening in the skies and uh, exactly how diabolical the military industrial uh, complex is so again, I will continue from our platforms to pass on any data that you need me to pass on and to pass on what you've already done because you've already fully exposed that issue for anybody who's not asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of sharing that data now. And we from geoengineeringwatch.org will continue to do that to the best of our ability. That is awesome. We'll work together and wake up this world. It's, it's going to take all of us. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we can't go down in, in surrender. Gail, any final, final words? Um, no. Other, well, that was wonderful, Dane. Thank you so much. I'm so mm-hmm. glad that we have the recording of it because yeah. there's so much information that you gave us. I'm going to need to watch it over a few times. Very excellent. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, Thank you. and well, well, you. people, um, check this out. Subscribe and support us at richardgage911.org, where you can also watch this uh, this this wonderful uh, uh, episode of Unleashed uh, with Dane Wigington and geoengineeringwatch.org. Uh, so uh, please, uh, for seven dollars a month, uh, you can keep us bringing guests like Dane to you. And we'll have Dane back again and uh, have him focus on some of these uh, questions that we didn't quite get to today. Even though we're- on a final note, listeners, because many people underestimate their ability to affect the equation. I know you know this, you and Gail. But I would argue, and I, I made the point at the end of the dimming, that any one of us could be the, the final pebble that triggers the landslide of awareness, and especially when we have data like what you've provided. And you, you can't, and as when I pass on, the experts speak out DVD from you. I m- make it clear to people: if you if you turn this on, if you simply turn it on, you won't turn it off. You won't. It will, it will change your world. It will rock your perception of reality. But any one of us could be the final grain of sand that tilts the scale. So we should never underestimate our personal power to affect the equation. Never give up. Never. And and we are closer to. A, a forced awakening than we realize. And if we keep sowing those seeds, people will have the pieces of the puzzle they need to understand what has happened and why. Never give up. Yeah. 
There are forces at work that we can't possibly imagine the, the power and, and the wisdom uh, and, and the love of, uh, and we, we, we could be right over the crest any moment, even though it may look bleak, as Dane has pointed out so well, uh, we don't know what where where we're we're cresting uh, that ridge. Uh, we're pushing a very big rock up a very big hill, and I think Dane and I both believe that we're almost there. So don't give up, mm-hmm. and uh, stay with us. We'll be back uh, on Thursday with an incredible episode of Richard Gage 9/11 Unleashed. It will be our next guest, Dr. Niels Herrett of the Copenhagen uh, 9-11 Truth uh, folks there. Uh, He's been all over the world, and he'll be talking about active thermitic materials in the World Trade Center dust. Until then, thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next time. Bye. And beyond. Visit us at richardgage911.org where you can find our schedule, learn about the WTC evidence, and of course, sign up for our emails and support us. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.